Good morning, Journey. How are you guys doing today? Hey, a special welcome to those of you who are joining us online. So glad you guys are with us today as well. My name is Daniel, and I am one of the pastors here at Journey Church. And today we're continuing our life-changing prayer series. Has that been a blessing to any of you guys so far? I mean, Pastor Mike's done an incredible job uh, just walking us through that. And hopefully uh, it served as a catalyst for your prayer life to uh, be more frequent and more powerful. So we've been seeing God do some incredible things throughout the last several weeks, and we're excited to see what he does uh, today. And today we're talking about how to pray through spiritual battles. And the truth is this, is either you're in one, you're coming out of one, or you're headed into one, right? It's They're constant. If you're a follower of Jesus, it's something that is constant in our life. But before we dig into that, I want to introduce you to someone in just a moment. We're going to take a minute to get there, but about a year ago, uh, my wife and I began to talk about getting another pet. And so we began to talk about getting a dog, and, and we knew what kind we wanted, so we wanted a golden doodle. And so we began to look at uh, what it would take to get a golden doodle for, for our home, and, and I looked at the price of it, and all of a sudden we didn't want one so bad anymore, right? And so you're just like, no way, it's still a dog, right? And so uh, we began to talk through it. We were looking for a year, and a friend knows that we're looking, and she sends me a picture one night and goes, hey, this person is someone I know, and they have several golden doodles, and they're wanting to get rid of one or, or all of them. They're selling them. And so uh, I contacted the lady. She told me the price, and I went, uh, no, thank you. And so you can keep him. But about two weeks later, she still had several of them. And so she reached back out, and she shot a message. And I remember showing it to my wife uh, one morning and going, hey, we can do this. Like, this is something that we can do. Just, I'm going to go ahead and ruin the story. <laughs> we can't do it. And it had nothing to do with the money, right? And so I show it and we go, we can do it. And that day I'm actually performing a wedding. So we go, uh, I perform the wedding. We leave. We go pick up the dog. So still in suit and tie, all that fun stuff. We meet in a parking lot. We get the dog. Our daughter doesn't know what we're doing. So, so this is a picture of uh, the newest member of our family. This is Chip Cheese. We name him after our favorite meal, our favorite restaurant. And so... Uh, this is my daughter. She's actually been in our family 11 years, but Chip is a new, he's a new addition. And uh, I, I remember getting him home and going, <laughs> we are not prepared for this, right? The first night you're like, oh, it's fun. It's a puppy. The second night you're going, it's a puppy, right? And the third night you're going, I wonder if they'll take him back. Like, I don't, maybe, maybe it's not too soon. Like we call back. So it's an experience and we thought we were ready for it, but look, but we really were not ready for it. Have you guys had an experience like that in life? It doesn't have to be a dog. You think you're ready for it. You're like, I'm ready for this. And then you get in the middle of it and you go, oh, not so much. Like I really was not ready for that. So we're going to look at a couple overarching truths about spiritual warfare before we dig in today. And one of them is about being prepared. And it's this. Matter of fact, you can jot it down. Spiritual attacks are going to happen in your life. And if you're not ready, you will be defeated. It's one thing to not be ready for a dog, it's another thing to not be ready knowing that you have an enemy and they plan to attack you. And so you get ready for it, right? You prepare for it ahead of time. The truth of the matter is this, is that if you are a follower of Jesus, you will experience spiritual attack. And generally at that point, we quit, don't we? We just kind of back off. We go, oh, it's getting kind of hard right now, and so I must be doing something wrong. But the truth of the matter is this, is that if you are a believer following Jesus and you get attacked, it actually means you're doing something right that you're actually doing something right. And so you will experience spiritual attack. And so the mature thing for us to do 
as followers of Jesus is to actually take time on the front end and prepare for it. And so God has told us, this is something you're going to experience. You might as well get ready for it. And the second overarching truth is this, is that this is a battle that you cannot win. You can't do it. You do not have the power or the strength or the knowledge or the wisdom to win these battles. But listen, it is a battle that God cannot lose. He can't lose it. And so ultimately, we're going to depend on him. So with those truths in mind, here's what we're going to do today. We're going to look at Ephesians chapter 6. We're looking from verses 10 to 19. And in there, there are five things I think that God wants to show us about how to deal with the spiritual battles that take place in our life. And so here is the beginning of the passage. This is uh, from Paul writing to a church in Ephesus. And he says, a final word, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of unseen world and against mighty powers in this dark world and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. And so jot this down. Here we go. We're going to say it one more time just to make sure we get it. A growing believer and the forces of the enemy are on a collision course with one another. You can't avoid it. And so you might be thinking now, I'm just going to avoid it. I'm going to find a way not to deal with it. But the truth is this, is that if you are growing, in other words, if you are walking with Jesus and you're investing in that relationship and you're doing the things that it takes to get closer to him and for your life to more mirror what he wants your life to be, then you are going to face spiritual attack. And sometimes that attack comes from us, let's be honest. Sometimes it's just us and the decisions we make. Sometimes it's the fact that we have an enemy who literally wants to destroy what we have and what we've been given. And so you will face it. So if you're growing, if you're walking with Jesus, just know the good news today is that you're going to face spiritual attack. The great news is that you have a God who can defeat any attack that comes against you. And so that's what we're going to look at. Again, the truth of the matter, if you are a growing believer, then you're on a collision course with the enemy And there's a few things that he wants to do. So when spiritual attacks come in your life, there are a few things that Satan is wanting to accomplish. And the first one is this. He wants to make the Christian life hard. In other words, it becomes difficult. I don't really want to do it anymore. This is harder than I thought it was going to be. It could be something as simple as maybe on January the 9th, you came to services here. You heard the first part of this message series and you said, I'm going to spend more time with God. That's what I'm going to do. And maybe your commitment was, I'm going to get up early in the morning and spend more time with God. And maybe on that following Monday, your alarm clock went off. And you hit the snooze button because it was harder to get up than you thought it was going to be. And maybe you hit it again and again and again and again, right? And then maybe the next day you did get up and you spent time with God. And then maybe the next day you didn't, right? And it's difficult. And you're like, man, I can't figure out how to make this work. Maybe it's a different area in your life altogether. Maybe you're trying to live out a godly marriage and and you're going, this is harder than I thought it was going to be. I didn't realize it was going to be this difficult. I didn't think it was going to be this hard. Maybe you're trying to live out God's call and purpose for your life and you're thinking, man, I just thought if I was doing what he wanted me to do that it would be easier than this. That things actually would begin happening the way that I thought they were supposed to happen. And attacks come. And one of the strategies of our enemy is this. He wants to make your Christian life difficult. He wants to make it hard. And then also, don't miss this. Not only will he make it hard, but he wants to make the Christian life easy. He wants to make it easy. 
There are times that, without a doubt, he will make your life difficult and he will make it hard. But there are other times where he wants your life to be so easy that you totally forget that you have a God that you should be depending on. And so he makes it easy. And you wake up one day and you're like, man, you know, I hadn't prayed in weeks or months or sometimes even years. And life has been so good that you've forgotten the one who gave you that good life to start with. So he'll make your life hard. He'll make it easy. He'll also push you to conform to the world. But hey, I don't, I don't want to be that weirdo, right? I don't want to be the one that stands out. I don't want to be the one that everybody's looking at and going, oh, they're super religious, Daniel. Let's stay away from him. And he will push you just a little bit at a time to conform more and more to the world standards and, and further and further away from his. And again, it's just one piece, one step at a time until one day you wake up and you're further than you ever thought that you were going to go. And so he'll push you to conform to the world. He'll also push you to give in to your fleshly desires. In other words, I'm going to go back to the person I was before I even knew Jesus. Or I'm going to do those things again. I'm going to go back and I'm going to live that life again. The things that I just naturally desire as someone with a flesh, I'm going to do those. And I'm just going to give in to them over and over and over again. And then Satan also desires to divide the body. He desires to divide the body of Jesus. And listen, there is nothing more destructive to the church than gossip. And so a lot of times the way that this happens is someone will will say something about someone else, right? Maybe the temptation is, hey, I know they're talking about them, but you should tell them what you know, right? Tell, tell them what you know so that you can tear them down a little bit and build yourself up a little bit more. And so they think great things about you and maybe a little less about that person. And the temptation is there. And, and before you know it, you start that conversation. And if you've been in one of those you know what happens, right? One comment leads to another comment, which leads to another comment, which leads to another comment. And three hours later, you're ready to blow the whole thing up, right? You've talked yourself into problems and the issues that don't exist. And Satan has been using it for over 2,000 years to destroy the body of Christ. And so over and over again, he'll bring attacks against the body because he doesn't want us to be unified because then we're accomplishing things for the gospel, and then he will encourage you to rely on yourself. He'll encourage you to rely on yourself. In other words, you don't really need God. Right? You're smart enough to figure this out on your own. Our society puts it this way. You just need to look within yourself. Right? Find the strength within yourself. Find your truth and live that out. Well, here, here's the truth. And we'll discover this a little more as we go on. But, but we're horrible people. Right? You, you know that better than anybody else in this room. You know the things that are inside of your heart. You know the thoughts that pass through your head. I'm here to tell you that, that you probably are an amazing person, but you don't have what it takes. You don't. And so looking within yourself and depending on yourself will never work because you can't do it. You can't do it. You can't accomplish the things that God has called you to accomplish without him. And so there's the first thing that we see in Ephesians is simply this, is that you are going to experience spiritual battles in your life if you're walking with God. There's absolutely nothing that you can do to avoid it, but you can prepare for it. And so here's the second thought, that if you wait to prepare for the battle after it has started, you're already defeated. If you wait until the battle has already started, you're already defeated. It would be similar to you waking up one morning, never training, and going, I think I'm going to go run a marathon today. <laughs> it's not going to work, right? You're, you may get a mile in, 
And, and you're probably going to take off too fast if you hadn't trained. And you, you probably get about a mile in, and you'll think you're dying, and everybody else around you will think you are also. Right? You know, because you, you hadn't trained. You're not ready for it. It's something that takes months to prepare for. And so you start running a little bit, and then you run a little more, and you run a little more, and you run a little more. And you take time to prepare for something that you know is coming. And so we do the same thing as followers. We know this is coming, and so we're going to take time to prepare for it. It's not something we're going to do in one day. It's not something we're able to accomplish in one week. It's not even something we're able to accomplish in a month, that we're literally going to spend a lifetime continually preparing for the battles that we know are coming our way. Here's the way Paul put it in Ephesians. He said, Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor, so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. That's preparation, right? You're getting the things that you need for the battle. And then after the battle, you will still be standing firm. And stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news, so that you will be fully prepared. In addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And so Paul is saying again to the believers, he's saying, I want you to be ready to fight the battle that is for sure to be in front of you. And then he's going on and he's telling this third thing. He's saying that fighting spiritual battles requires you to know the truth. That if you're going to fight spiritual battles, then our weapons and even our defense mechanisms are all centered on the truth. And we, we don't have time to walk through all of those pieces of armor this morning that Paul shared uh, with the church there in Ephesus. But I would encourage you maybe to go back at some point and dig in that. That's something that every believer for sure should know. But I will say this, that every piece of that armor in one way, shape, or form deals with the truth. And so we put on a helmet to protect our mind from the lies of the enemy, right? We want the truth actually going into our mind. We put on the breastplate to protect our heart from the schemes and the lies of the enemy so that those are not the things that we actually believe. We have the sword of truth, which is actually the word of God, which is our only offensive weapon that we're using to destroy, again, the lies of the enemy. It's the truth. He literally says, and when you get all that on, put the belt on and put on the belt of what? The belt of truth. It's all about truth. And so the truth is what is holding all of the body armor together. And so if we're going to stand firm when spiritual battles come our way, then we're ultimately going to be dependent on the truth. And in fact, Jesus said it this way. He said to the people who believed in him, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings. Those are the truth, Jesus' teachings. We're going to remain faithful to what he teaches. Again, not what we think, not what we feel, not what we desire to be true, but what he has taught to be true. And then what's the result? You will know the truth. And what will happen? The truth will set you free. And so it all centers around the truth. And you guys know this. You've been around people who, who mess with the truth just a little bit, right? You shift it just a little bit. And maybe it's not an outright lie, but it's enough of a lie to get you off track, right? You don't notice it right off the bat, but afterwards you do notice it. And you've been lied to enough, right? You've, you've been at a party and someone said, hey, can I get you a Coke? And you took a swallow and you realized they lied to you and it was Pepsi, Right? You guys have been there, or worse, it was it was the knockoff brand, right? And you thought it was real, and about ten seconds later, you're like, "Wait a minute, what? 
There's something going on. There's an aftertaking. I don't know. I don't know what that's about. Look, that, that's funny, funny stuff of being lied to you there. But there are things that Satan will lie to you about that will destroy your life. He will say, hey, that's not who God intended for you anyway. You'd be happier with someone else. What if your husband was more like fill in the blank? What if your wife was more like, you know, if you just had that job or if you had just gotten that promotion or if they treated you the way that you ought to be treated, and right, it's just a little bit of a lie. It's a whisper of a lie that literally has the ability to enter your mind and then to, to enter your thoughts, which will enter your heart and will eventually spin your life in, into complete chaos. And so we spot those, and we do everything we can to stand with the truth and to fight back with the truth. And if we're going to know the truth, we're going to know the truth that at least three different areas if we're going to fight back in the first one is this, we're going to know the truth about our enemy. We need to know who it is that we're dealing with. And so we're not going to spend all of our time focusing on the enemy, because even if a counterfeiter is, is trying to, or excuse me, someone, someone that's trained to spot a counterfeiter will spend more of their time looking at the real thing than the fake thing, right? Because the more you know the real thing, the easier it is to spot the fake thing. And so we're not going to spend all of our time focused on the enemy, but we do need to know who he is and what his schemes are. And here's what the truth says about him. Here's what God's word says about our enemy. It says he was a murderer from the beginning. Sounds like a great guy, right? He was always, he has always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. And when he lies, it is consistent with his character for he is a liar and he is the father of all lies. In other words, this is the Bible very clearly saying you can't trust him. And so when you hear that whisper, you identify it as that, that that's a lie. That doesn't line up with the Word of God. That's not what God says, and that's not the path that we're going to follow. And so we're going to, we're going to know the truth about our enemy. Second, we're going to know the truth about ourself, about who we are, and about who God has created us to be. And here's one verse that points to that. In John 1, the Bible says, See how very much our Father loves us. Truth number one, you're loved by God. For he calls us his children. He's called you his child. And then third, and that is what you are, that you actually are a child of God. That there's ever been a point in your life where you've confessed your sins and trusted Jesus for, for, for forgiveness, you are now a child of God. That's who you are. That's your identity. Everything else is secondary. Maybe you grew up like this, where, where you had a father that you loved and cared for you, and you took great pride in the fact that he was your dad, and he knew, regardless of all of the other stuff in life, that, that he was going to care for you, and he was going to take care of you, and he was going to meet your needs. And maybe there was a little bit of pride in there. I don't, I don't know about you guys, but I rode the bus when I was growing up. All right, anybody else? Did you guys ride? Y'all ride the bus? Some of you guys were spoiled, right? And so we we rode the bus growing up, and every now and then an argument would fight out, would break out on the bus. By every now and then, I mean like every two or three seconds, right? It's just a constant. It's like a brawl all the way home, pretty much every day. And sometimes the fight would center around this: my dad's bearing your dad, <laughs> right? The, the things that kids will argue about. My dad, and then the comparison would start, and it would start. And maybe maybe you experienced things like that. And you never wanted to say anything because you were ashamed of your father. Maybe you were the one who was always standing up because you loved your dad and you admired him and you thought he was the greatest thing ever. Regardless of what your earthly father was like, I want you to know this, that you have a heavenly father who is perfect. And he loves you. 
and he has chosen you, and he has offered you salvation. And if you've accepted it, the Bible says that you're a child of God, which means that now he will fight your battles, right? He will meet your needs. He will give you direction. That's who you are. You're a child of God. You're not someone walking around just hoping you can win the battle. You know you can't win it, but you know there's someone behind you that can. And so you're trusting on him. So know the truth about yourself. And then finally, know the truth about your God. The Bible in First John, or excuse me, about, about your God. The Bible says this about who, about who God is. In First John, it says, this is the message we heard from Jesus. And we now declare to you, God is light and there is no darkness in him at all. Your heavenly father is absolutely perfect. The Bible tells us about him from beginning to end. And here's what we know, that he cares for you, that he loves you, that he's all-powerful, that there's nothing that he can't accomplish. He is it, right? He is it. And that is the God that is fighting for me and you. So the truth of the matter is this, is that Satan is a liar. And the things that he desires to, to put into our minds and into our hearts, those are lies, because that's what all he can do. He's the father of lies. That's his character. He's a liar. We are children of God, and we have a God who can accomplish anything. Those are the things that we know to be true. And so we, we lean into the truth. And then we also fight spiritual battles through prayer. Fighting spiritual battles requires you to pray. Look what William Kuyper said many years ago. He said, Satan trembles when he sees the weakest saint upon his knees. The most powerful thing that you can do as a believer and a follower of Jesus is to pray. And so when we're tempted, we pray. When we're under spiritual attack, we're going to pray. We're going to pray. Paul gives further instructions to the church in Ephesus. Here's, here's what he says to them. Or he reveals to them a few things. The first one is this, is that prayer gives us the energy we need to put on the armor, right? That's how we put it on, through prayer, and fight the battle that is in front of us. You feel like it's a battle you can't win because you can't, right? And so we begin to pray, and it gives us the energy we need to fight that battle. It also ensures that we're fighting the right battle, that we're fighting the right battle. Maybe you guys have been around people who will fight any battle, right? Yeah, you know what I'm talking about? Anything, right? They're generally warriors on social media, you know, like anything that they disagree with, whether it be sports or whether it be politics or whether it be something their neighbor is doing, it's all right there for everybody to see, right? Everything is a fight that has to be won. And I would say this to you today, that God don't want you fighting every battle in the world, right? He's not going to give you the strength to fight every battle because every battle is not for you. But he will give you the strength to fight the ones that are in front of you. And so prayer ensures that we have that energy and ensures we have that power and then also ensures we're fighting the right battles because if you're fighting the wrong, the wrong battle, you're, you're not going to win. And here's what Paul says. He says, pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. And pray for me too. Ask God to give me the right words so I can boldly explain God's mysterious plan that the good news is for the Jews and for the Gentiles alike. So here's how we're going to pray. We're going to pray first off in the Spirit. We're going to pray in the Spirit. That might sound confusing. This simply means this. Pastor Mike did a tremendous job last week sharing with us that when we place our faith in Christ, that, that God seals us with the Holy Spirit, right? that now we have the gift of the Holy Spirit. So when we're praying in the Spirit, it simply means that we're praying as believers 
and followers of Jesus. That's the only way that we can know what to pray for. And now our spirit intercedes with the Father, right? That, that's what's going on. So the spirit, we're going to pray in the spirit as believers, as followers of Christ, desiring the things that God actually desires. Second thing he says is we're going to pray all the time. We're going to pray all the time. Now what this actually means is we're going to pray during every season. That we're going to pray during every season. So where the things are good, we're, we're going to pray. And when things are bad, we're going to pray. And when things are working out at work the way that we hoped they would, we're going to pray. And when things at work seem to be falling apart, we're going to pray. And when the marriage is amazing, we're going to pray. And when the marriage is falling apart, we're going to pray. And when the kids are living the way that we, we raised them to live and they're seeking after God and they're following His plan for their life, we're going to pray. And when they're running in the complete other direction, we're going to pray that at every season in our life, we're going to pray, right? When the doctor comes back and gives great news, we're going to pray. When he comes back and he gives horrible news, we're going to pray that regardless of the season that we find ourselves in in life, that we're going to be a people of prayer. And Paul is saying that if you want to fight the spiritual battles in your life, then that's what you're going to do. You're going to pray in season, out of season, good, bad, everything in between, that you're going to be a person of prayer, and you're going to be spending time in prayer regardless of the season that you find yourself in. And so we're going to pray all the time. And then he says this, we're going to pray during every occasion. Now, this could be simple, right? This could mean that the occasion of going and buying groceries, we're going to pray. That That's a good thing, right? That you should. You should thank God for providing for you, maybe you're going to pray over your meal when you go to lunch in just a moment. But don't pray over your meal and then treat your server horrible, right? Just, just a quick tip. And so you're going to do, maybe it means you're going to pray at the dinner table at night. Maybe it means you're going to pray when you get up in the morning. But, but the actual translation of this means with all prayers. That we're going to pray with all prayers. It means this, that we're not just going to approach God with a list of what we need and want. Right? That, that's part of prayer, without a doubt. Lord, I, I need these things, and I need you to meet my needs, and, and here's some things that I want. That's fine. We're a child of God. If you want them, you can share them with them, and we share those things with them. But, but that can't be it. That can't be it. We're going to pray prayers of thanksgiving. And we're going to say, God, although I have this list of things that I want, I'm going to take some time to thank you for what I have. And so I'm going to thank you. I'm going to thank you for my family. I'm going to thank you for my job. I'm going to thank you for my home. I'm going to thank you for my car, right? I'm going to thank you for the call that you've placed on my life. I'm going to thank you for my church family and my church leaders. We're going to spend some time actually thanking him. It means we're going to pray prayers of worship, and we're going to admit the fact that we serve a God who is holy and just and righteous and mighty, and we're going to acknowledge those things, that we're not just coming to him going, Lord, here's what I need, and we're getting up and we're leaving, but we're actually taking time to sit in the presence of God. It means that even after we're done talking, that we're going to sit and we're going to listen. And we're going to go, God, would you speak to me? God, share with me the things that you want to say with me to, to, to me, the things that you want to speak into my heart. And so we're going to pray during every occasion, or we're going to pray all of those different types of prayers. We're actually going to pray for other people, that it's not going to be all about us. But we're going to begin to pray for other people. And as you begin to call people by name, listen, God will prompt you to pray things for them that you don't understand. But once you have a conversation with them, you know exactly that what you prayed for they're going through because that's what God does. He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. And so we pray. 
and we don't just pray for ourselves, but we pray during every occasion or we pray all prayers. And we're going to pray with persistence. We're going to pray with persistence. And listen, this is not about us twisting God's arm and trying to get what we want. This is us praying with desperation, saying, God, I'm not going to quit until I get your answer. I want to know what your will is, what you desire for me, and I'm going to keep praying. The Bible says to keep knocking, right? It says to keep asking. It says to keep seeking. And so as followers of Jesus, that's what we're going to do. Lord, until I get an answer, I'm going to keep knocking on the door, right? I'm going to keep knocking. Lord, until I get an answer, I'm going to keep seeking. Lord, until I get an answer, I'm going to keep asking that I'm going to be someone that prays with persistence over and over and over again. And listen again, it's not my goal to get God to carry out my will, but it's my goal to know God's will. I want to know what it is so that I can carry it out and so that God's will can be done here on earth. And then we're going to pray for other believers. Paul concludes by saying, hey, would you guys pray for me too? But I want you to pray for me. Because you don't face spiritual battles alone. Other people, they're sitting beside you right here today. They're fighting the same kind of battles. And they're going through the same things. And God didn't create you to battle alone. In fact, he created you to do battle with other people. The church is an army. All right, you don't have to fight those battles by yourself. God intends for you to do life with other people, people who have strengths that you don't have, and you have strengths that they don't have, and you fight those battles along, and you face that spiritual warfare together, and you're stronger when you're linked arm-to-arm than you are when you're out there by yourself. And Paul is reminding the believers that, hey, we're going to pray for others, and we're going to fight these battles together. In just a moment, we're going to give you a chance to share whatever spiritual battle you're walking through with someone else. We're going to sing a song, and our prayer team will be here at the stage, and you have an opportunity, literally, to walk up to someone and go, you know what, nobody knows this, but I'm struggling or I'm battling with, and you will be surprised at the freedom that that brings, and you'll be surprised at what God begins to do when you actually begin to share your burdens with others. And so if we're going to pray through our spiritual battles, it won't just end or center on us. But it will always involve us praying for other people. And then one final thought. That winning spiritual battles requires us to surrender. It requires us to surrender. It means that at some point we give up. We don't know the exact timetable, but somewhere around A.D. 60, people began to use a white flag as a way of surrender. It was a way in the midst of a battle to let everyone involved in the battle know that you were done, that that you were giving up. It was a confession to everyone involved in the battle that I can't win this battle, that I don't know what to do, that I don't have the strength to do it anymore, and I'm defeated, and I surrender. And so what people would do would they would take a white piece of cloth, similar to this one, and they would raise it however they could raise it. Sometimes they would just hold it in the air. And again, it was a symbol, I'm done. Other times they would put it on a pole, maybe like this one, and they would hold it in the air. And they would let everybody else know, I quit, I give up, I surrender. Maybe they would put it on the end of a rifle later on. 
hold it in the air. Maybe they were running up a flagpole and let everybody know that I surrender, that I give up. And I want you to know that the only way to win, the only way to experience victory in your Christian life is to surrender. It's to give up. It literally is to figuratively raise a white flag and go, I quit. I surrender. I give up. And today, that's what a lot of us need to do. We need to go, God, I've tried it on my own. I've tried it. I fought with all the strength that I have. I've done everything that I know to do, and it's not working. And so today, I surrender. I quit. I give up. And here's the key part. We're not surrendering to the enemy. We're surrendering to the Savior. And Jesus said this. He told his disciples that this would always be necessary. He said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross. Listen, that's surrender. And follow me. Let him follow me. Surrender and follow me. And you can jot down this final thought. The key to experiencing spiritual victory. It's not being true to yourself. It's surrendering to his truth. And so today, maybe that's you. Maybe today you surrender. Maybe it's just a prayer in your seat. Maybe it's coming and letting someone else fight with you. Maybe it's trusting Jesus for the first time as your Lord and Savior. But I want you to know again, the way to experience victory today is to simply say, Lord, I surrender. I give up. Would you guys pray with me? Lord, we love you. and God, we thank you that you've given us a path to victory. God, I thank you that that's not dependent on us because, Lord, we can't do it. God, we're not strong enough. We're not smart enough. We're not wise enough. But, Lord, through the person of Jesus, you've offered us victory. So, Lord, I pray for those who are in this room today. God, give them the strength and courage that it takes to admit they need to surrender. Lord, that we need to give up and trust in your strength and in your plan and in your purpose. <laughs> yes, if you would, keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed. Just a moment. Stay in a posture, a spirit of prayer. If you are here this morning and you've never trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, That's your first act of surrender. And until you begin that relationship, none of the rest of this matters. It's the most important decision that you'll ever make in your life. And so I want to invite you that today, if you sense God calling you to himself, to trust him. The Bible tells us this. It tells us that we've all sinned. Look, you're not alone. We've all messed it up that the wages or the punishment for that sin is death. It's eternal separation from the God who created you, from the God who desires to be your Father. Now listen, the Bible says this, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. And today, if you want to surrender and turn to Him, all you have to do is say, Lord, I know that's true of me, that I'm a sinner. And today I trust you to 
to be my Lord and Savior. Lord, I thank you for anyone who just said that prayer. God, give them the courage to share that and begin to walk in that on a daily basis. Hey, there's a lot of us here in the room who've been walking with Jesus for a while, for weeks or for months or for years. And we have this tendency as people to begin fighting in our own strength again. To begin thinking that we can figure it out. That we can win the battle on our own. And today, maybe you just need to say, Lord, I give up again. Lord, I've been trusting in my strength and in my power. And today I surrender. Fresh in you to you. You guys, if you would, stand to your feet. We're going to end today by giving you a chance. Our prayer team is going to come forward. And if you'd like to pray with someone today, then I would invite you to move as God leads you.